everyone. This is Short Latina. Welcome to another episode of Nerdy Latinas Podcast. With me, I have my guest, Mateo. Hi, Mateo. Hi. Mateo is a 22-year-old undergraduate student majoring in applied behavioral analysis in a field of psychology. He is both a psychology student and an independent film student. His passions growing up were writing stories and watching films. Welcome, Mateo. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. So, you love films, and that's something I learned also through your TikTok. So what are some of your favorite films? My favorite films at the moment, I'm really into sci-fi. Okay. Uh, I love Star Wars. I love Back to the Future. I love Tomorrowland. I'm also kind of into like the magical side as well. My other favorite movie is also A Wrinkle in Time. I remember <laughs> being in love with Narnia growing up too. I love the Narnia books. But anyway, um, we actually did an episode on Star Wars and representation. I don't know if you got a, a chance to listen to it, but we... Yes, I did. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I mean, and that was just scratching the surface. We, we are planning on doing another episode on Star Wars. Yeah, there is a lot to talk about with Star Wars and the character development and the story structure. It turns out that George Lucas made Star Wars based off of the Odyssey. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's why there's like a whole big journey for the Star Wars fan base. Because you know how there's multiple episodes? Mm-hmm. Well, we need to have you back then for that episode. Okay, so... And to give some idea to our listeners about how I got in contact with you, Wondrous World of TikTok led me to you. I saw one of your TikToks in which you discussed just facts about people with disabilities. You talked about specifically how being an undocumented immigrant with disabilities creates a whole nother set of hurdles on top of being an undocumented immigrant. I myself am DACA and my privilege of being able-bodied prevented me from from thinking about a whole population of people with disabilities. I should be advocating and I'm not. I'll be honest, I'm not. And I, I wanted to learn more. I wanted to, to learn from, from people who are doing the work. Yeah, of course. I just want to thank you for having interest in my story and for reaching out to me and for making this podcast a reality because I feel like it's something that not a lot of people know about, not a lot of able-bodied people know about. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure until you saw on TikTok my video, I'm sure you weren't aware of it, but my TikTok, it kind of brought education into it. And that's what I really wanted to do with my TikTok because mm-hmm. at first I was just thinking about like posting like I'm trans as well. So I was just thinking about posting like things about what it's like being trans and everything. But then I started like thinking more difficult having an intersectionality because I'm struggling with all these different identities. I bounce from one to the other, from being trans to being disabled to being an immigrant. You know, there's all those factors that ties in. And I just thought, I'm like, oh, like, how cool would it be if I saw someone out there like me making these videos so they don't feel alone? And that's when I got the idea of making these TikTok videos. And that's what led me to do the immigration video because that day I was actually sad because I've been trying to look for a job for the past year, even the year before, pre-COVID. It's very difficult to look for employment as a person with a disability because we're often overlooked. So like the employers, like they won't hire us because they don't think that we're responsible people as like able body. That's yeah, ridiculous. Of course. 
I've applied to like physical jobs, Target, or Macy's, you know, there's, there's, there's salespeople on the floor, like just helping customers, you know, like if a able body can just stand there and like help customers and a person with a disability can do the same. The only difference is that I use a wheelchair, but like, it doesn't make me any different, you know? Mm-hmm. And like that day I was kind of sad because I, I haven't been able to find employment and like I was getting into my head about like, oh, like how much it sucks that I can't find a job right now. But then I started thinking, I'm like, but remember a few years ago when you were looking for a job and couldn't do it because you were undocumented, you know? Like mm-hmm. things have changed. I use that sadness at that moment of not being able to find a job to make that video. I remember how I had recently graduated high school and I saw all my friends moving out from their homes and going off to these colleges and staying in the dorms, you know, that college life. Either they got a job or something like that. And as, as a person out of high school, like, you don't know what you want to do yet, but at least you want to start somewhere. You want to try things out, you know, make your own path. Mm-hmm. And I remember wanting to do that so bad once I got out of high school, but because of both being disabled and because being undocumented, it made it a lot more difficult. And like, at some point, I did feel hopeless. I'm just like, what am I supposed to do? It's something that I don't really have control over. I did. It's something that I didn't have control over at the time. Mm-hmm. All like I could think about at that moment was just like talking to somebody about it, telling others that this is an issue. I always had that motive to like say something, but I never really had like the right opportunity. And it wasn't until I made that video on TikTok where I talked about it about my story and about how difficult it was to go through that. You used your voice and it empowered you, right? You empowered yourself with your own story. And I thought that was absolutely necessary for people to hear. Can you explain to our uh, listeners what an intersectionality is? Yeah. So intersectionalities is when you have more than one identity. So a person can be Latino and they can be queer person can be disabled there, there are different identities that all come together as one and mm-hmm. they intersect as one that's actually something I didn't know about until I actually got to college because when I got to college I took a disability studies class because mm-hmm. I had a professor who was also in the wheelchair like me he's paralyzed from the waist down and I was able to like open up to her about my struggles with being undocumented with with having intersection intersectional identities and I was able to confide in her what I was going through at the moment Mm -hmm. and like being intersectional is I think it's both a gift and a curse it's a gift Mm -hmm. because I get to use my voice to like talk about these issues that people don't think about all the time but it's kind of a curse as well because it's very lonely some at sometimes mm-hmm. it's very difficult for me to like be able to relate to others because there's there's not a lot of us there's minorities of us I've tried to like look for videos or stories on people who are disabled and cramps and who are minority I'm a minority because I'm Latino I try to look for those stories but there's nowhere to be found and I guess that's why I really wanted to to do this too because I just want people to know that they're not alone because it's just really horrible feelings. Yeah, especially right now that we are bound to our homes. It's hard not to feel alone, right? Even mm-hmm. when you you might have friends, but you don't see them as often or you don't talk to them as often. I think we're 
physically isolated right now and if you live live alone it it could be a really hard time what is your immigration story (laughs) okay i was born in mexico in a pueblo called it's cali cuatitlan no Uh, way you you were you're you're from there yes really wow (laughs) that's a small world (laughs) crazy but go ahead (laughs) (laughs) wow that's so cool (laughs) so i'm from mexico and I was born with my disability. My disability is Morrison syndrome. It's a disability that affects the dislocation of my joints and it's a malformation of my bones. So I don't know if you've seen in my TikTok, but my my body is different. So like my arms are twisted around. Mm-hmm. I was born like that with my legs as well. So I was born in 1998. And at that time, medicine still wasn't advanced. And the doctors... They told my parents that there wasn't really much that they can do about my condition. But they said that I wasn't really going to live that long and that my condition was new to them. They had never seen a baby with me. And my parents, they wanted to give me the best life that they could. And that's when they made the decision to come over to the United States. We migrated from Mexico to the United States when I was three months old. I was a newborn baby. We got here to the United States and... I have an uncle who lives here in Los Angeles. So my uncle, he basically told us to come to LA and that he was going to take my mom to Children's Hospital over here so that they can take good care of me. And they did. They came over here. My mom, my dad, and my siblings, we came over here to LA and we've been here ever since. I received care at Children's Hospital Los Angeles and I basically grew up there since from when we got here till now, I'm still part of the community at Children's Hospital. I had 12 surgeries in my lifetime. I've had a lot of doctors study my condition, and I received physical therapy there. I received occupational therapy. I also received speech therapy. Because the thing is, when it comes to a physical disability, they make that correlation that people with physical disabilities have a cognitive disability, which is not always true most of the time like there are some people who do have their cognitive disabilities along with physical disabilities but there are people who don't and so because of that assumption that they made about me as a baby they didn't teach me how to communicate verbally so they taught me sign language and from when i was like around three to five i would use sign language to communicate my parents but it wasn't until i became five that i started talking and I ended up proving the doctors wrong. Yeah, the doctors said a lot of stuff. They said I wasn't going to be able to talk. They said I wasn't going to live that long. My life expectancy was like 8 or 10 years old at the, at the time. Yeah. There's so many countless stories of doctors that just are proven wrong, but also don't provide the best care. They they go based on statistics and yeah, people... They- People are resilient. The human body is resilient and it's stronger than than most people think. Yes, exactly. I agree. But I feel like it's something that they should work on too because like hearing those kinds of things, like it scares you as a kid. I had a spinal fusion in my back because of my disability. I developed scoliosis. My name is Reina Guerra. I am a special education teacher in the Bay Area. 
I have my bachelor's in political science from Arizona State University, and I am pursuing my master's in special education from Cal State East Bay, which I will be finishing in May of 2021. I'm here to talk about special education, um, to talk about folks with disabilities and access to supports within communities. In terms of talking about resources for families who are non-English speaking, who are not even just talking about Latinx immigrants, we're talking about immigrants from Cambodia, we're talking about immigrants from, um, from all over the world, not just the Latin world. Um, it is incredibly hard to find translators. It is incredibly hard to find um, translators who are able to connect with you in your um, native tongue and in a way that you're gonna be understanding of this American healthcare system, which is complicated and quite often does not support undocumented or poor individuals. It is definitely a struggle. And I think the most important thing for families, especially immigrant families and non-English speaking families is to work together. I'm seeing a lot of families get connected as small communities. And in those small communities, they can pass not only information, but like supportive doctors, dentists, things like that. They will have that information within that community. And that kind of opens up the door for those families to begin to trust the doctors who actually do want to help, but are blocked by a lot of bullshit red tape. So as a kid, I had an appointment at the doctors and it was a follow-up to look into my scoliosis because apparently it was getting really bad and the doctor was telling me that I needed surgery, that it would eventually start pressing into my lungs and that I would just pass away like that. I was like 12. You but, were 12 years old. Oh my God. Yeah. But I was listening to the doctor and obviously like my parents, they don't speak English proficiently. Mm -hmm. So we had a translator in the room and and the translator was telling everything the doctor was saying to my parents and oh my god she just started bawling her eyes out and I'm just like what? She got emotional by what she was translating from the doctor. Seeing her emotional like it scared me as a kid and like I just remember like turning to my mom and I'm just like mom like I don't want to die. And my mom she had to talk to me and I think that was around the time like I started understanding the concept of death. That didn't happen, thank God. But I didn't end up getting spinal fusion until I was about 15 or 16. Because mm -hmm. I knew it was going to be such a big surgery, but I had school. So I didn't want to do it until I was ready and, and until I, I grew as much as I could. Because if I did have a surgery earlier, it might have affected my height. Mm -hmm. So I waited until I grew. Right. And parents are so trusting of the doctors, right? Mm -hmm. Of what they say, it just, you know, because they have a degree and they have doctor in front of their name. Uh, my experience has been that parents will believe whatever the doctor says, right? And I am sorry that that happened to you. And that it was such a scary time, especially at 12 years old. It's very traumatic. Yeah, it, it really was. It's very unfortunate that there's not a lot of help for immigrant parents who have kids with disabilities too. I have a niece who's also disabled. She became disabled because she had a stroke. And my sister, she's bilingual. She came over to the United States like around like 15 or 16, but she grew up here as well. And my sister, she tells me that she sees these parents at the hospital. When she when she takes my niece to her hospital appointments, she tells me that she sees these parents who are also immigrants and that like the parents, they listen to what the doctor says. If the child needs this and the, the, the parents, they go along with it, but the parents are not always 
informed about everything. Whereas mm -hmm. my sister, because she understands English, she can be an advocate to my niece. So the resources that you can find at hospitals, at schools, um, I'm not well versed in hospitals as I work with children in the school setting. I work with high schoolers and before I worked with um, elementary school kids. So I don't know much about healthcare industry um, supports, but in the schools, we have something called an IEP. We have a personalized education plan for these kids that will say that legally you have to give these kids these, uh, these accommodations. And if not, we can go to court over it. They can get something like an IEP that'll give them accommodations to participate within the general education classroom, or they can get something called a 504, which is also um, a form of support that is legal documentation for these kids that also say, hey, this kid has ADHD and needs XYZ, or this kid needs adaptive PE because of an injury when they, have, uh, what they had when they were young, or due to cerebral palsy or something of that nature. So for sure in schools, there are processes and there are supports built in. It is much harder as the student gets older and as it exits the school system. And that's simply because in America, we have free education. K through 12 is funded by the government and the state and every kid goes to school. Um, but as they get older and as they age out, the supports that are offered become increasingly minimal. For students with mobile uh, mobility issues, you can ask for things like adaptive PE, which is a way for a student to still participate within general ed PE, but with a certain amount of accommodations where they don't have to run the mile, where they don't have to do XYZ, and they can do an alternative activity in place of that action. And I think there's a lot of layers to why parents have a difficult experience with advocating for kids. Um, one, I think some parents don't believe we're doing enough. And I would like to say as a representative of a community and a district that is very stretched thin for finances and we are already struggling with budget issues that we do the absolute best we can. Um, trust me, if I could offer my, every one of my kids a laptop and things that would really support their education, I would do it. We, do, we are incredibly stretched thin. If you're from a marginalized community, if you're from a small community, we have some families that speak mum, and that's a dialect of ancient Maya, and it's hard to get a translator in there. And so they're waiting for a translator because there's only two or three or four for the whole district when we have many mum-speaking students. Gonna fast forward. You came to the United States and were able. You were able to get medical care that doctors in Mexico could not provide, right? And so, when did you realize that intersectionality as an undocumented immigrant? When did that start to hit you? So when we're in public school, like we're all together, you know, there's not really any differences at the moment, but it's not until we get into college and that's when we start learning about how much more different we are than from people who are citizens. It really hit me once I graduated high school too, because I started noticing all the different ways my the classmates that I graduated with, they're much more privileged than I was. And I want to give uh, our listeners some numbers just so they have some context of, of how many people with disabilities are being affected that are undocumented. According to a website, the plight of undocumented immigrants with disabilities, and I'll put the site on our description, 14% of the world population has a disability. And so if you apply that logic, 
for example, in detention centers, there's approximately 40,000 individuals in immigrants in detention centers, including 11,000 children. If you apply the 14% logic, there's 5,700 children and immigrants, undocumented immigrants with disabilities in detention centers. And if you apply that same logic from the 11 million undocumented immigrants, that means there are 1.5 million undocumented immigrants with disabilities. So my experience with students with disability has been, has been pretty varied. I worked with the little guys. Uh, they were anywhere from kindergarten to third grade, experiencing issues of extreme um, ADHD, uh, fetal alcohol syndrome, um, things like oppositional defiance disorder. And that really got me interested into working in the field of special education because it gave you a space to be creative. I remember once we were working in oceanography and uh, talking about the animals that live in the ocean, why the ocean's important. Little guys, they're eight and nine years old, they love it. So what we did was we made a mural with the layers of the ocean and the different animals and different plants that live in that. Space. And it got me really, really thinking like, yo, I could do this. I could be in a space where I'm actively problem solving with students and I'm not being an authoritarian over their education system. So when I got to Oakland, that's what I started working in was uh, students with emotional disturbances or ADHD or TSD, um, bipolarism, anxiety, all of those things, uh, specific learning disabilities like dyslexia. Our experience has been horrible online. I hate it. It is not fun at all. None of us become teachers because we're passionate about curriculum. We become teachers because we're passionate about kids and seeing the things that they could become and supporting them through the journey that is life. And that's what I love about teaching is working with kids one-on-one. -on -one. They're just little people. They're just tiny adults trying to figure it out, right? And our experience online with students who have very little tech literacy because a district like mine is incredibly poor. We don't have tech classes. So to give a student a Chromebook and say, hey, charge this beast every night and every day go on Zoom for an hour and 15 minutes for each class, that's incredibly overwhelming. So not only are we teaching content, but we are teaching basic computer functioning skills, how to attach an item to an email, uh, how to create a Google Calendar invite, how to problem solve when your mic doesn't work. We're teaching a lot of these things in conjunction with our content areas. And kids who have low frustration tolerance, kids who don't have stable internet, kids who don't have the access to those types of things and have low frustration tolerance are really struggling right now. We're also working with communities where our students' families don't really know how to com use computers like that either. It's becoming this, it's a yarn ball of issues. You pull one aside and it gets snagged on the other end, right? When you're trying to pull the string out of a yarn ball, you're gonna get stuck on some things. And we're finding that through digital learning, our students are facing much more pressing issues than just how do I get to school and how do I learn? It is really hard to get a student to participate in speech therapy online. I mean, you can imagine they don't like doing it in person and then add on top of it, hey, we gotta do this online in front of my teacher. I don't know who's at my teacher's house and we don't know who's at their house. So they have to do this in a setting that is foreign to them online. And they can get those things offered. Our district is offering additional help for students who are showing extreme regression in their learning, which is helpful. I'm really thankful they're doing that. 
But on the opposite end of it, I am incredibly nervous for them, those folks going into those homes. If a student has something like dyslexia, if a student is struggling with auditory and visual processing, um, I have taught them to use Google Read and Write, which is an extension on Google Chrome where you can get those things read to you, like an article read to you. Uh, you can look things up in a dictionary, it'll show you a picture, and you can simplify the article. Things like that we've, we've learned to work with. But otherwise, special educators are now having to educate general ed teachers on how to modify their curriculum for students with disabilities. I've recently been, uh, I've come in contact with a lot of really amazing folks in the Bay Area. Um, I actually identify as a queer Latina, so um, it's pretty dope to be at my school and be in a space where I'm able to be out and not fear that I will be dropped because of my identity and who I am. My campus is super supportive of LGBT folks and it is one of the brownest and queerest and diverse places I've ever worked. I love it, it's a great place. And in that intersectionality of all these cultures working on one campus, we have come across these amazing folks who have these organizations within, like Oakland has an LGBT center. They talk about access to ramps to get into to get into the buildings and out of the buildings they talk about elevator usage all very inclusive of folks with disabilities whether it be mobile or folks who are struggling with bipolarism or folks who are working through trying to get i guess their their status change within the united states uh, those are all really complicated things to unravel and it creates like this russian dolls of like issues that you're working with with a student or with a person What, what are some of the struggles that they have to face? The struggles that disabled people who are undocumented have faced is that they can't apply to get the same services as other people. So financially, they're not financially stable. Mm -hmm. On top of that, it's very difficult to find employment because without your social security card, it's difficult to find like an office setting job or like a work at home job. You know, you, you would have to get a job under the table. It's more difficult for disabled people because most of the jobs that are under the table are required to be physical. Those physical jobs make it much more difficult for disabled people to apply. It relies a lot on physical capabilities and not just physical too, but it can also be cognitive as well. There's people who have speech impairments or there's people who have communication impairments, you know, like they'll talk mm -hmm. with a computer, or they'll talk with a, a program or a board. The thing with disability is it's very broad, so there's not one specific thing that I can say for everybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But because it's so broad, there's all these things that we have to think about to make it more accessible. It's difficult in that aspect because I know that not every job is also willing to make that change. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And the Trump administration has made many moves to exclude not only immigrants, but people with disabilities. Yeah. Um, recently, they wanted to the removal of the selective enforcement 2017 bill 
to weaken the American with Disabilities Act. They've tried to pass so many so much legislation that affects, you know, insurance policies too. What can you tell us about that? By doing that, it's also making it more difficult for disabled people to actually be covered and to receive services in the insurance companies. Personally, there's these insurance companies where I have to pass a certain criteria to get these services. If I'm not disabled enough to pass that criteria, I don't receive those services. So for example, I receive IHSS and that's in-home supportive care. And what that service is, uh, I have somebody that will help me get changed, that will help me take a shower, basic needs. But the thing is, based on my condition, they limit my hours. So for me, I receive 30 hours a week. 30 hours a week isn't enough to cover everything that I need to have to be independent. The more hours I can get, better because I know I'll be in good hands of another person. What they don't take into consideration is, is that disabled people have emergencies too. Like there's times where I've fallen off of my bed. One time I spent like three hours stuck in the bathroom floor and I had to wait until somebody got home to help me. Unforeseen situations that happen. But yeah, mm-hmm. by doing all the things that the administration is doing, it's making it more complicated for us to receive that help and to be, to feel safe. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> Yeah, it's bad for in a lot of ways uh, for so many reasons, but let's hope for a bright future. It's a difficult time. Yeah. And I'm sorry that your life is in the hands of this xenophobic and racist and uncaring administration. Folks with disabilities aren't given the space and the representation to feel like they can be sexual beings. You know, when is the last time you saw someone with disabilities being portrayed as sexy or as attractive or as gorgeous without this like pity factor? And that is outrageous because they're people who feel, you still feel sexual desire as a person with a disability. That doesn't exclude you from that. That also doesn't exclude you from being a part of the queer community. First and foremost, it is incredibly hard for folks with disabilities to receive support if they are undocumented. Usually within the medical field, it is really hard for them to get supports. I even looked for things like uh, Chicanos por la Causa. Do they have any supports for folks with disabilities who are struggling with getting around or getting you know, into applying to jobs? I couldn't find anything there. I looked at LULAC, which is the um, League of United Latin American Citizens. I didn't find anything there either. And so even situations in which our own like people who we identify as other Latinx folks, we're not getting representation for folks with disabilities or resources for folks who identify as queer. And so then it, it does feel like there's a compounding of issues and how do I start and where do I start? Were you ever DACA? Yeah, I was DACA. Is there anything you want to mention on DACA? The only thing I want to talk about for DACA is that there should also be help for undocumented disabled people too. There's some disabled immigrants that don't have the ability to work. And you know how DACA, they give you the green card for the permit. But what about those people that they can't physically work? And what do they do then, you know? 
some go to school and some don't but how, what are what is DACA doing to help those people that can't work and that's when you see that the DACA was really a band-aid uh, solution and that we need something much more established and inclusive of all undocumented immigrants not just students and people that are able to work it's a yeah it's a very ableist executive order yeah. and that's something that some people I don't know will be that way because to them DACA was a saving grace, right? Without DACA, they wouldn't be able to buy a house or a car. But mm-hmm. you know, we often forget about everybody else that was excluded—the 11 million undocumented immigrants that were excluded. Yes, anybody can become disabled at some point of their life. So if there's an able-bodied person who receives DACA at some point of their life, they can become disabled. You know, they can either grow. A condition, they can be in an accident. Like life isn't expected. You never know what to expect. But um but there should be that sometimes we can become disabled and sometimes it can be unpredictable too, you know? Yeah, it can happen to anybody. So let's talk a little bit about your work, the advocacy work that you're doing through TikTok. There are several TikToks that actually caught my attention and that is about the history of the American Disabilities Act. Uh, passed in 1990. Can you give our listeners a little bit of context? The American Disability Act is a law that does not let any discrimination happen towards disabled people. So there's no discrimination in school, in jobs, and transportation settings. And the process that disabled people had to go through is that they crawled to the stairs of the Capitol building. And we have countless adults counting up those stairs in the heat. It wasn't until this little girl, eight, nine-year-old girl, her name is Jennifer Kalon. She was climbing up those steps with them, and she was noticed by the media. Because of her, the ADA got passed. Um, My biggest thing would be starting in a space where you know that people are adhering to the ADA, where you know that people are following the rules of the ADA and making sure that people with disabilities have access to not only apply to the job, but to actually get the job. If this person has been in school in the United States, start reaching out to their special education teacher and the school psychologist, uh, maybe even the guidance counselor, because they always have connections within the community for queer youth, for youth with disabilities, and um, can sometimes get you hooked up with legal advice. It is much harder for folks who are adults to get the support. I honestly believe that there is a massive misunderstanding in what folks with disabilities are able to do and not do. I think that when people see the mass amount of people in in this population who are able to move freely about the world, do not see the obstacles that are put in front of folks with disabilities simply because we put them there. We didn't even think that other people would be using, maybe they wanted to go up to the second floor. No one thought about what it would be like if we didn't have legs to move. That's messed up. Like, so the lack of cognitive, uh, cognitive like building is one thing. Folks with disabilities just aren't in architects' mind. They are not in minds of people who are heading these corporations because they're like, yeah, well, he's, he's got a wheelchair and he's got to like move around and stuff. Yeah, people who need wheelchairs to move exist and they do need to move around. I don't understand why that's such a complicated situation or why that is such a difficult space for corporations to operate in. I think they feel that like the corporation is going to feel some sort of hardship if they start employing people with disabilities because then that means they got to employ more and then they got to like buy specialized equipment or buy this and that. Corporations can say no if they feel 
that it is going to cost them way too much for the job that that person does. That's a massive loophole that corporations have for that. It's kind of bullshit. So grateful that for her, I have the rights that I do now. And this is the same legislation that Trump weakened during the administration. Mm -hmm. And I don't think many people know what it took to get that legislation passed in the first place for someone to then turn back and undo so much of the work. Yes, it's frustrating because he doesn't take into account like what we had to do to get through that. Yeah. Another fact that you shared on TikTok that also just kind of made me think Mm -hmm. so much was the fact that that how people with disabilities cannot get married. And of Mm -hmm. course you can, but there are consequences, grave consequences. If people get married, can you touch a little bit on that? Yes. A lot of disabled people choose not to legally get married because there is financial and there is physical consequences. The the government thinks that, okay, so if they get married, then they're not a problem to us anymore. They think that our spouse is going to completely take over all of the responsibility of financially supporting us and physically taking care of us. We... Try to be as independent as we can in our own ways. We can be independent by receiving physical care. We can be independent by receiving financial assistance. Not every disabled person has the ability to work because of their condition, right? Every condition is unique. But to make that assumption that our spouse is going to completely take care of us and everything, Mm -hmm. it's not fair for the government to make those assumptions about us. We have a right to our physical care and to our financial assistance. Absolutely. Because without it, what are we going to do? It kind of gives that stereotype, and this is what I hate a lot. It gives that stereotype that, like, disabled people that we're not we're not contributing to our society we're such important members of our society as well there's so many things that we can do all we need is help folks with disabilities are, are really given the short end of the stick in a lot of situations especially when it comes to financial support and trying to find employment. Like people with disabilities wanna have jobs too. They have dreams and aspirations. And for some reason that's really disassociated from the minds of the public. When I was looking into like, damn, like really what could we do? What could we do to support? One, Trump administration is is quite frankly, you know, shit on a number of levels. Um, Trump openly mocked a disabled man. So fuck that guy. So also he wanted to repeal major parts of Obamacare, which have been incredibly supportive for folks with disabilities. Because historically, when someone with a disability or like, you know, something's going on that affects their ability to maintain employment or or maintain healthcare, they were being turned away from insurance companies because you could turn people away at that point. So Trump's, you know, gung-ho-ness for repealing Obamacare is really dangerous for folks with disabilities. It's also dangerous uh, because he is really trying to cut into the social security budget. And that would also impact folks with disabilities um, because some people would have to recertify their disability in order to maintain receiving support. This happened before the Reagan administration. The Reagan administration did something similar and like half a million people lost their benefits due to those policies which led to many people dying, and most of them dying by suicide because people with cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, and terminal cancer 
were just tossed out of the social security benefits. And that, that's just dangerous. You can't do that to people. So basically the American uh, Disabilities Act was created for folks with disabilities to participate within society without the fear of discrimination, without the fear of like, hey, if I apply for this job and they know I'm wheelchair bound, they're not gonna hire me. And if you get the job, you should be able to have the equipment necessary to perform that job. And the ADA also says that as well. You absolutely need to provide folks with what they need. Um, but even before that, there were folks um, fighting for the rights of others with disabilities. Uh, one man in particular, his name was Ed Roberts. And there's now a campus in Berkeley, California that is designed for organizations that support people with disabilities. And it's designed with universal design, which is a huge thing. And people were fighting during the 70s and late 60s for their rights because people with disabilities were left out of this, um, a lot of movements. And after the civil rights movement, they were like, yo, we need to do something because you still have stairs going up to the courthouse that I need to get to. And I can't with my crutches and my wheelchair. You still have these doors that I would need to pull open, big heavy doors of the courthouse that I'd have to pull open. And I can't do that. I can't get a job because I am bound to this space where I live. So even before the ADA, there were things going on within the United States uh, to protect people and their rights because they were consistently being violated. Uh, things like the IDEA Act, which was for um, students, they had the right to be educated just like everyone else. Um, before then, students with disabilities could not go to public schools. So the ADA kind of piggybacks on top of things like IDA in order to get civil rights for people with disabilities. And of course, when talking about marriage, you also talk about dating um, and what it is oh, yeah. to date as a person with a disability. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit more on that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, dating in the disabled community, I know that it's not really like a thing that's talked about. We may need help with our with our basic needs and everything, but just because we might need help, it doesn't mean that we're incapable of loving. We have these five love languages, which are words of affirmation, physical touch, receiving gifts, quality time. As a disabled person, I can do all of those things for somebody. And by doing those things, I'm making them feel loved. It's all about knowing the person and knowing how you can fulfill their needs. Absolutely. But it also applies to like friendships. You talked a little bit about family and basically your family being there for you when you guys migrated to this country and also trying to help you navigate through life, right? Mm -hmm. But there is one TikTok and you don't have to talk about it if you're not comfortable, of course. Mm -hmm. But there's one TikTok that you talk about family kind of not being there for you you know how, what is your family relationship right now i understand that you identify as transgendered uh now right you identify mm. as he him yes tell me a little bit about that if if you if you would like yes yes of course so back in 2019 i came out to my parents as transgender and my parents again they're from mexico mexico is a very different culture than from the united states they were never really exposed to queer culture being transgender when i told my parents about how i felt and about me identifying as transgender like it completely surprised them they weren't expecting it at the moment they didn't react the way how i hoped for my father and my mother they're catholics and they're somewhat religious, but they think that my decision is going against the word of God. Obviously, with my parents being from a religious culture in Mexico, it's 
understandable that they think that way. I do struggle with it sometimes because sometimes I do need the support of my parents. But I'm hoping that as time goes, that they get to be more open-minded and they get to learn more from me. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it caused a lot of my depression and my anxiety growing up. Unfortunately, too, what I hate our Latino culture is that there's still a lot of homophobia going around. There's yes. I remember growing up, in my family, I would always hear a lot of homophobic comments. And it's uncomfortable to be in that environment, especially because you know that you identify as queer. Like, how are we supposed to come out if they're against us without knowing us fully? I did come out to my mom as a lesbian back, like, in middle school. But again, my mom, she didn't accept me. And I, I don't really, from middle school till when I came out being trans, I never really talked about it. Like if I like to grow at school, if I'm struggling with like feelings for a girl or things like that, like I never really had anyone to talk to about it. I would always mm. internalize it and I would keep it with myself. But unfortunately, because of those comments and because of those beliefs, it makes it much more difficult to accept yourself. And it's a long process that I'm still working on to this day. Being trans is still not accepted everywhere. There's a lot of trans people that face violence because of it. I didn't choose to think this way. I didn't choose to be trans, I just am. The only decision that I'm making is doing what I need to do to be comfortable in my own body. For me to be comfortable, I need to use my pronouns, my he, him pronouns. I, I need to change my name. And right now I'm looking into the process of transitioning. Unfortunately, my parents were not always going to agree on everything. So what I'm working towards as an adult is that it's okay for me to do the things that I need to do and for me to not have my parents' blessing. Because at the end of the day, it's my life, my decision. And I have mm-hmm. to do everything that I can to make my life easier, to make my life better for myself. I'm healing that inner child in me that repressed those feelings of not being accepted, of being different. And I'm just working on myself and like saying, no, it's okay. It's okay to be different. Absolutely. Now, have you been able to find a family of friends or a group of people that are supporting you in your journey? Yes. So when I was in community college, I joined a psychology club. Joining the psychology club was honestly the best decision I ever made in my life. That club was filled with so many great memories and so many amazing people that are still my friends today. I met all of my closest friends in the psychology club and having... (laughs) And I've been having their support ever since I came out. They took me in just like that with their arms open. And it's such an amazing environment. That's why I consider them my closest friends. It's such an amazing feeling to have that kind of love. Because unfortunately, I don't have it fully with my parents. So I still have that support. They're the ones who's helped me with coming out. I'm glad that you were able to find that, that feeling of acceptance. Now, I want to end uh, this episode by asking you how our listeners can support you and your dreams. Yes, my first dream is to create a nonprofit organization for disabled people 
to give them access to extracurricular activities such as arts, mentoring services, and health and mental health services and college prep. And I want it to be specifically for disabled people, for the disabled youth. I feel like that's something that I always needed as I was growing up. Nobody ever told me that I was ever going to go to college. Nobody really supported me through it. Uh, it was more of like something that I had to do for myself. I had to navigate for myself. Right. And you also want to start your production company yes. uh, that revolves around people with disabilities to give them opportunities to work in media. Yes. And tell me about that. Yes. So I want to start a film production specifically for disabled people for us to have more representation in the media. I remember growing up, I would always want to watch a story that looked like mine. The story of the disabled person navigating the world but there were never really any good films to watch because it wasn't the narratives that i was expecting to see so usually in the films either the person with a disability dies or either they're being viewed as inspirational porn you know what inspirational <laughs> porn is yeah it, tell me about that tell our listeners <laughs> what inspirational porn is inspirational porn is something that disabled people we go through a lot and it's not something that we specifically do. It's something that able-bodied people do towards us. Let's say I might be going to the grocery just to buy food for myself, to feed myself, right? Me going to the grocery, I'm not doing much. I'm not changing the world. I'm not doing anything big. I'm just trying to get myself some food to eat. I'll have somebody, like, stop me at the grocery store. Like, they'll just tell me, like, oh my gosh, like, you're such an inspiration. You're here at the grocery getting yourself food, being independent and this and that and like it put me on the pedestal for the wrong reason big <laughs> if i were to do something life-changing like okay then yeah like you can definitely say those things about me but i'm just trying to buy food i'm not doing anything big and it's something that disabled people face a lot we're just trying to live our lives we're not we're not trying to be seen as an inspiration all the time it's like you wouldn't just go up to a random person and you wouldn't you wouldn't just say like oh you're my inspiration for being here today and this and that it's like no like i'm just trying to survive and, yeah and it's something that it, it annoys me specifically because they they always get me at the wrong time. So <laughs> I always I always have to be in a hurry or something, and like they stop me and they talk to me, and we spend like twenty minutes talking. Like I don't want to be rude or anything, so I'm like, okay, okay, like thank you, thank you. But yeah, <laughs> that's inspiration point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've also mentioned how people just lay hands on you and pray for you randomly, yes, right? Yes, yes. Like one time I was at the bus stop and then this lady just puts her hand on my head and she starts praying for me and I'm just like, what? Like, I'm just trying to get home. <laughs> and, oh my goodness. And like, no. Right? <laughs> yeah. I, well, and, and, and I think that's good for our listeners to know. Yeah. Um, I want to recap. You want to have your production company. You want to open your nonprofit organization that provides classes in the arts. Mm -hmm. And you want to provide college prep to uh, kids with disabilities. Now, how can our listeners support you? Because you having these three dreams is aspirational. Not you getting some mac and cheese at the grocery <laughs> out. But like, what can we do to help you reach your three dreams? Do you have... Well, at the moment, all I have is my TikTok page. It's uh, M-M-A-T-E-O, Mateo underscore 98. I'm going to be working on TikTok, making new videos, and getting more educational videos out there to inform people about what it's like to be disabled. And 
I want to grow my following on TikTok to eventually make a YouTube channel and to grow my following on YouTube. You you said you're looking for yes, a job I though, right? Yes, I'm looking for a job. Use this as a platform, as a resume. Hi. So I'm trying to be hired in a job that has to do working with people with disabilities or with kids with disabilities, or I want to work in the psychological field. That's why I'm doing ABA because I want to help kids with disabilities navigate their lives. I want to help them understand their behavior and their thought processes as being person with a disability mm-hmm. would you be comfortable if we share your email for people that uh, might have a job position or a job offer yeah, of to email you Perfect. okay awesome now last question we ask every guest what makes them nerdy so what makes you nerdy Mateo? what makes me nerdy I think it has to do with my imagination and my creativity. I think of the impossible. I feel like anybody can reach for the impossible. That's awesome, Mateo. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for getting nerdy with us. And we hope to have you again to talk about film and Harry Potter and all things uh, sci-fi. Appreciate it. The thing is, there has to be some sort of documentation that says, my rights were violated and I can prove it with this. You can say something like, send an email, send a text, whatever you are doing with that hiring manager and say, you know, I'm just out of curiosity, what was it that caused me to not be a good candidate? And if they can't come up with a really good answer, that's kind of a hint. People in corporations can come up with a lot of reasons to not hire people with a disability, whether that be mobility or otherwise. And I think one of the things you really need to make sure you keep in mind is that um, you have to be able to document what is going on because if there's no documentation um, the courts probably will not look at it. Um, You can work with a lawyer for someone with the ADA but this website I I refer to quite often called Disability Scoop has a lot of support on what to do should your rights be violated. I think it's it's, it's quite simple for um, what we can do to like support folks with disabilities. One, we need to start standing up for, for folks with disabilities because they can't do it on their own. That's not okay to be like, oh, I'm a person who can go up the stairs. That's not really my problem. The fact that some people can just cash that and go on with their day is not all right. Uh, the fact that you aren't putting cognizant or any sort of intentional effort into creating systems whether that be in the job industry, whether that be in the school systems, or whether that be just out and about in regular like infrastructure and architecture of cities. If you're not putting those efforts in for folks and and, like have those folks with disabilities in mind, you are really, really undermining these folks and their humanity. You cannot say like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm totally here and I support without looking into the people that you are voting for at your local like level and seeing what they're voting for or not. Anyone who has voted to repeal Obamacare at this point does not support folks with disabilities. Anyone who can support this administration, I mean the, the Trump administration, not the one coming in, we'll, we'll see what happens there, does not support folks with disabilities because you are already taking steps towards dehumanizing these folks by saying, hey, mm, the fact that you openly mocked a man with disabilities was not enough for me to cut you off. That's one strike. Second strike is you are willing to overturn Obamacare, which will repeal protections for those with pre-existing conditions. And third, you are doing things that reflect Reagan administration where people died, and that's also not okay. Folks who are able-bodied and able to 
take part in creating infrastructure, folks who are creating these um, these architects who are creating buildings. I, I not highly suggest, I'm, I'm actually demanding that you move outside yourself and consider using universal design in everything that you create. I'm talking to teachers who are teaching students with disabilities, be flexible with your students. And that's not just students with mobility issues, that's students with autism, that's students with dyslexia, and that's students with auditory and visual processing issues. Be flexible. We need to start using our voice collectively and not just relying on folks with disabilities to fight for folks with disabilities because that's just not how it works. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Nerdy Latinas Podcast. Please share us, review us, and send us a voice message. We'd love to hear from you. We'd also like to thank our guests and Madera Once for allowing us to use their beautiful music for this episode. Please join us in the next episode of Nerdy Latinas Podcast. <laughs>